Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I guess you know that the Christmas season has officially started when someone gets peppered sprayed at Walmart. And uh, hey, you guys enjoying this weather? How many like this cold weather? Show of hands. How many want to go back to the 110? Wow. Look at you. I, I'm not sure if I like this weather. I had to break out my uh, long pants last night. My only pair. So, good to have you with us this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 25. Actually, Acts 26 is where we'll be. I'll just summarize the last part of 25. This is our How It Changes Everything teaching series. This uh, weekend's message title is What's Your Story? What's Your Story? Two more weeks. After, two we- after today, we got two more weeks and we will be wrapped up with the book of Acts. We started Easter and we've worked our way completely through this book. It's been an unbelievable study. Let me start off by um, making a statement. This is a slogan statement. If you've been around Desert Breeze for any length of time, you've probably heard this statement and a number of other statements, but they're important to us. And the statement goes like this. Maybe you can continue the statement. Um, Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become codependent. And uh, no, actually, and become family. And, and I agree with that, but not completely. I think there's more to that statement than that. I don't agree with it 100%. Not in the fact that strangers become friends and friends become family. I think that's all cool. But I think it's much deeper than that. I think it's a whole lot deeper than that. I actually believe that Desert Breeze is a place where not just strangers become friends, where enemies become friends. I'm, I'm convinced that that's really what the gospel is, is about. By the way, the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross, it's about a man who died for his enemies. That's the gospel message. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's pretty profound. So, so when we make statements like that, I think it's more than just strangers become friends, friends become family. I mean, you could actually say, there's a reason, a place where strangers and enemies, enemies become friends and friends become family. It's uh, D.A. Carson, a theologian, said, Christians are a band of natural enemies who love one another for the sake, for Jesus' sake. I mean, did Jesus say that? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, basically, let me summarize it. He says, it's natural. It's natural that you would love people who love you. (laughs) That's natural. I mean, even unbelievers do that. But he said, it is supernatural when you love people who hate you, who despise you who try to use you. In fact, he even said this. He said that, that when you do that, you are showing that you are truly a son of your father in heaven. Pretty, sign- pretty significant. And so, and so there is a bond that goes deeper than any diversity, and even it dispels any animosity. In fact, I'm convinced that this this bond is really the common denominator that all of us who are Christians, this common denominator is that we have a story of having gone from, from death to life and are being so transformed that we can even supernaturally love our enemies. And if you have been touched and transformed by the power of God through the love of Jesus Christ, then then you've had an encounter and at that point of conversion and your perspective, your purpose, your path radically and dramatically transformed, changed. And because of that, you have something to say, a story to share. You have a testimony to tell. Webster uh, defines testimony. It is a serious declaration to substantiate a fact, to bear witness or give evidence to an event. I mean, that's the whole book of Acts. The, the summary statement of the book of Acts is Acts 1, 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my 
witnesses, literally martyrs. You'll be willing to give your life for me. Your life will be so ravished by my love, so raptured by all that I've done for you, the cross, that you will want to tell the world about me. And so it is true about our lives. Every one of us has a story. Of course, unless we don't know God, because if you know God, you will have a story. You will have a, a, an amazing grace kind of story, a God story. And when someone asks you, why are you happy? Why are you hopeful? Why are you peaceful? Why are you so joyful? Why are you so loving in spite of the people, things, and circumstances of your life? It's at that moment you open your mouth and unlock the answers. You provide hope. You become a tool in the hand of of God, a channel of his grace and truth. And so that's where we are in our study in the book of Acts. This is what we see Paul, the apostle Paul doing. As he's standing before this big court, he begins to give his story. And we're going to learn a lot from his story on how we can share our story with those around us. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. We're going to dive into this text. Uh, Spend a little bit of time there and then we'll work through our notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. Because you first loved us. And even as your word says here in Acts 1, 8, really the summary verse of the whole book of Acts. God, we pray this morning that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon us this morning. So that we would have power to be, if need be, martyrs for you. Break through the walls of apathy and lethargy in our lives spiritually. Give us a deeper sense of urgency concerning the times we are living in and the, and the enormous stakes of heaven and hell for all eternity, the lives that are hanging in the balance and how what we do or not do can make an eternal difference in someone's life. Lord, let us see that more clearly. What amazing and breathtaking love, Father, that you would rather sacrifice your son than lose any of us. And it's your love that compels us. So teach us how you want to use us and our story of your amazing grace to help others to know you for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Let me summarize very quickly. We finished reading, uh, As uh, if you're new with us, we work through uh, books of the Bible. Try to go verse by verse for the most part, and sometimes we'll take big chunks and I'll summarize them and then kind of work beyond that, but uh, try to work through that and then uh, focus in on certain sections even more so than others. And we finished up reading in uh, Acts 25, verse 12. Let me summarize verses 13 through the end of chapter 25 because then we're going to begin reading at chapter 20, 26. Paul is on trial, falsely accused by the Jewish religious leaders. And Acts 25, 13 through 27, Governor Festus is seeking the counsel of King Agrippa with his wife Bernice uh, in knowing how, how, do I need, how do I send uh, Paul to Rome? And I need some sort of papers, some kind of recommendation. So he's seeking his advice. And so Paul seizes this opportunity before a prominent crowd uh, of government officials to share his story. This is one of many times that Paul has already, already done this. And so... We begin reading Acts 26, 1 through 32. It's going to take us a little bit of time. We're going to spend a lot of time just working through the text. I try to keep my comments brief, but they were hard this morning. I, I woke up this morning as I was studying this text, and it just popped out to me. And I can't help but believe that there are those that are here this morning that need to hear what I'm about to tell you. I, I think that God really, uh, it, sometimes, sometimes when I wake up in the morning, and I study this extensively, but, it, but God began to speak really clearly to me about this text in ways different than what I had, he had told me this last week. So bear with me as we kind of work through this text. Really quite interesting. I'll walk you through it in verse uh, 1, chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially before you, Especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, this is where he's headed with this. Is that, And this is just the simplicity of sharing your story. He's going to start with his B.C. days. What does that mean? Anybody? Before Christ. So he's going to talk about his B.C. days. And then he's going to talk a little bit about what led up to his, his encounter with Christ. And then he's going to talk about his after Christ days. 
pretty simple. So when you share your story, you start with, well, this is what my life was like before Christ. This is what led up to it. Now here's the difference that he's made in my life. You're going to see that in this text. Pretty simple to follow. He says in verse 4, My manner of life from my youth uh, spent from the beginning among my nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. Everybody knows me. Everybody knows uh, that I grew up among the Jews. And they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion... I have lived as a Pharisee. Now, when we use the word Pharisee, we use it in a kind of a negative way. This was very positive in, the, in these days. Very, very elite, very spiritual, very religious group of people. Very highly honored group of people. Very diligent in their studies. Though Jesus did criticize them. And it is a negative term for us because they worshipped God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. It was all form and no substance. So just keep that in mind. And then he goes on. And you're going to notice a word that he uses several times here. Let's work through it. Verse 6. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope. There's the word. Because of my hope. Let me just say something about hope. It's going to come up a couple more times in the text. But the hope that he's talking about here is not unlike the kind of the way that we use the word hope. Typically when we use the word hope, it's more like I wish. I, I wish this would happen. Not really sure if it's going to happen or not. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it will. But actually the word hope in the scripture is a, is a really joyful, confident expectation. It's a done deal just a matter of time that's what that word means and it kind of really goes along with the idea of faith the definition of faith found in hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 faith is being sure of what we hope for sure of what we hope for certain of what we do not see it's a done deal my life is in god's hands he's going to take care of me even if it looks you know contrary to that i'm in god's hands that's the idea of hope confident joyful expectation that's what he's talking about here. So he says, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Who's he talking about? There? He's talking about Old Testament. He's talking about Old Testament prophecy. We'll talk more about that as we work through the text. To which our 12 tribes hope, there's the word again, to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, anytime you see a, a word come up over and over again, the, the you know, the tendency is that we kind of read through text really quickly and we don't let certain words kind of, kind of land and land in our hearts so that we can understand, well, what does that mean? Why is he so redundant with that word? Well, there's a reason. It's important. He says, and for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. And then he kind of explains the hope briefly. He says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? There's the hope. The hope is that Jesus came and conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave through the cross. And he was resurrected. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. He conquered sin. And so because of that, we can live a different life. He's talking about this hope that we have in him. It's a confident. It's a, it's a done deal. The gospel is not uh, good advice. It is good news. It's, it's, just, it's a done deal. So that's why he's talking about this hope. Let's talk about hope just for a minute. You can live about 40 days without food. You can live a few days without water, depending on how hot it is here, living in the desert. You can live about five to six minutes without oxygen. But you can't live a single moment without hope. Every one of us has hope. We put our hope in a lot of things. If you put your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, it's just a matter of time. Your hope will be dashed to the, to the ground. And when you feel hopeless, it's opportunity to place your hope in Jesus. It gives opportunity for that. Um, got the call yesterday. There's a, there's a family in our church. This, this particular gal actually works part of our nursery, part of our children's program, and she... She had a sister who tried to commit suicide. And um, people typically try to commit suicide because they've lost all hope. There's no reason to live. And now her uh, son, 15-year-old son, is wanting to commit suicide too. Because if he sees mom going down this path, what's the use of living? If she can't make it, how am I going to make it? My heart broke. We, we're living in a, in a day and time, and particularly during the holidays, when people are more and more uh, hopeless and helpless. The suicide rate increases during the holidays. I don't know if you knew that. 
And, and, and so everyone here puts their hope in something. And when that doesn't work, we either medicate that. We just medicate ourselves. That's why we run crazy after drugs and alcohol and all the crazy stuff that we pursue. Uh, because we can't bear the thought. We can't. We have to have a sense of meaning and purpose in life. Um, that's why he talks about this hope. And, and, and you need to know that what Jesus did for us, he gives us hope that transcends anything and everything that you face, even, even the bad holidays. And even if you have faced the loss of loved ones in the holidays, there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the hope. There's a number of things. I could go through a whole list. The list is too lengthy. It's innumerable. But let me just give you three things that always stand out to me when I think of hope real quick. And then we'll go back to the text. Is that God can take the bad things and work them for my good. There's hope in that. So no matter what you're going through, he's going to take, he's working, he's going to take the bad, he's going to work it for your good. Romans eight twenty eight, Genesis fifty twenty. How many are familiar with that? Show of hands. Yeah, uh, it's phenomenal. Some of you are going through terrible, terrible times and you're wondering, where is God in all of this? I'm telling you, he is working in your life. He loves you. And that brings us kind of to the next little idea here is that not only will he take the bad and work it for our good, but the truly good can never be taken from us and the truly good is him. The truly good is knowing him and that nothing can ever separate us from his love. That can never, ever, no matter what happens to you, he is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. If God is for you, who can be against you? That gives you hope to go on another day. And then the third is that the best is yet to come. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. Yeah, times are looking bad. The best is yet to come for those of us that follow Jesus. He's got some phenomenal things in store for us as we continue to look to him and follow him. And so there's the hope that we need. And by the way, when you pray this next week, would you pray for Kristen and Josh? Those are the names of the two that I just mentioned. Kristen and Josh. Kristen is the mom and Josh is the little boy that's struggling with a sense of hopelessness that they desperately need the hope of Jesus. It's the hope that he's talking about here. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, there is always hope. There's always hope. We have hope. Confident, joyful, expectation, done deal. He accomplished it for us. You know, hey, what's the worst that can happen to us as believers? You're going to die? No, that's the best. I'm gonna, I get to go to be with God. I mean, really, I mean, when you think about it, what, you can't, you can't get, a, get someone down when they understand the hope of the gospel and all that that encompasses. And it's the more you live in the reality of that, you just have this joyful, confident expectation that transcends the people, things, and circumstances of your life. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. And he continues on. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things. So now he's getting in. He's continuing to talk about the B.C. days, about how he persecuted the church. Many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I... I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I chased them to foreign cities so I could persecute them and kill Christians. So what have you done? How bad is it? Is it that bad? Probably not. Even if it is, you're going to see this guy. He encounters God and God so transforms his life. He goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He goes from, from persecuting Christians to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if God can change Paul, he can change you. He can change anybody. That's what he's talking about here. That's the hope that we have in, in Jesus Christ. And, and no one is ever too lost. No one's ever too lost for the grace. I mean, this is the antithesis, the lifestyle that he was living. That's the antithesis of the Christian life. And, and God rescued him. Now, let's, let's read the rescue here. Let's see what happens. By the way, let me just say, too, that Paul's... Paul's rescue, Paul's conversion is very dramatic. Not everybody's uh, conversion is dramatic. Most people's conversions are not dramatic like this. 
But nonetheless, they are still a conversion. And sometimes we have more of a, a Peter kind of a conversion. Remember, Peter was kind of this slow process. And some of us, we committed our life to Christ. We really don't know when it happened. But sometime in the past, it happened. I know that I'm a Christian. I made a confession of faith. But that's kind of a little bit how Peter was, denying Christ three times, kind of the processes he worked through. But then you've got the Paul kind of conversion where, man, he just gets knocked silly. Let's walk through it. And in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. What he's saying is, I went there to kill Christians. That was my intent. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Stop there just for a minute. Do you find it interesting? Why would he say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Time out. He's persecuting Christians. He's not persecuting you, Jesus. No, that's where you're wrong. This is what I love about this text. This is what you need to know, and I think this is what we can draw from this. When you suffer as a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of why or when or how the suffering comes to you, you have a Savior in heaven who also suffers. His heart is so connected with your heart that when you're doing bad, He does bad because He loves you so much. He knows He knows the pain. He knows the struggle. He knows what you've battled through. He knows what's going on in your life. I know you feel all alone. You feel isolated. You feel like nobody cares. No, he does. He cares. He showed that he cares through the cross. He cares. He loves you. He is with you. That's what that is saying. When you persecute Christians, when Christians go through difficult times, it's personal. It's about me. I am connected with them. I love them. I am for them. That's what he's saying pretty powerful so my prayer for you that when you go through suffering you know that you have a savior that that man his heart his heart breaks for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin so let us boldly come before the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy find grace to help us in our time of need the fourth chapter of Hebrews makes that very clear. The first chapter of Second Corinthians puts it this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Oh my goodness, do you have any idea what it's saying there? That when our heart breaks, God's heart breaks along with us. The word compassion has that, has that idea of a gut ache. That sense like, oh, you got sucked in the gut. When I heard Nancy talking to this member of our church yesterday and as she was pouring out her heart about her sister having tried to commit suicide it, hurt, it hit me in the gut that's what it's talking about there father compassion a god of all comfort comfort meaning these are not just uh, hallmark platitudes you know bumper sticker theology that god does care and he is with you no matter what you're going through that's what that means Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am so connected to the believers that when you hurt them, you are hurting me because I love them. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's an amazing truth. Let me tell you something. If that truth ever got deep enough into your heart, you could pretty much handle any kind of suffering. It doesn't always get there, but I pray that it does. I think the only way that I can relate that to is maybe as a parent. Every parent here knows that when your child is suffering, you will do whatever it takes to remove that suffering from them. Would you agree with that? Unless you're inflicting it yourself because they need a little discipline. I mean, how many can relate to that one? I am inflicting the suffering because they need it. And sometimes, you know, out of love, you, you bring a little suffering, whatever that might be. You know, but... but I remember, you know, when I was in my home, I remember my mom. I mean, she's like, when we were, had the stomach flu, which is always the worst. That's kind of the worst thing. I always hated the stomach flu. Just heave your guts out. And I remember my mom holding our heads over the, the toilet, you know, as we're like, she's there wiping our head and taking care of us. And it's like, wow, how did she do that? I couldn't do that. I just tell my kid, get in there and puke and then come back out here and I'll, I'll take care of you. No, that's not true. We wouldn't do that. Actually, actually Nancy would do that. <laughs> That's making me sick to my stomach. I can't do that. No, and actually, um, 
But that's only the heart of a father or a mother or a parent. You understand what I'm saying? That if your heart breaks like that, that's just a dim hint of the father's heart for you. That's the idea. Okay, let's continue reading. So he, he responds here and he says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose. So when you have a conversion experience, it's for a purpose, okay? Here's the purpose. He's gonna lay it out and this is for all of us. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me that you have seen me and to those in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. I am sending you out with this message. Now, here's, here's the message. This is really a good summary. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Stop there just for a minute. Do you hear the heaviness of those words that Jesus is speaking to the apostle Paul? Or he'll, he will be the apostle Paul. He's Saul now, but it will become Paul as a result of this conversion experience. But those are the same words that he speaks to us, that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Everybody look up here just for a minute. You've got to get this. Heaven and hell are real. And people will go there for all eternity. One or the other. Based on either their acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, I tried to argue with that for, for years. I was like, well, you can't argue with it. Jesus even said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I'll, I could talk with you more about it if you struggle with that because you kind of have this idea, this very, uh, you know, that's very predominant in our society. Hey, all roads lead to God as long as you're sincere and all that. We kind of deal with all that in our game of life. We kind of talk about that. Those are straw men. We kind of knock those down pretty quickly. They're pretty easily, uh, easy to pop down. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it. And you're going to see how those things can fall down pretty easy. But I'm telling you, listen, people that don't know Jesus who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ will go to hell. And it's for real. As real as I am up here standing in front of you today to tell you that. And there's some of you that are on your way there. And it would, it would devastate me that anybody in this church would not know Jesus and be headed towards heaven. That's what he's saying here. He's saying to open their eyes. Listen, you're either on Jesus' team or you're on the other team. You're either headed for heaven or you're headed for hell. That's why he says your eyes need to be open. So that they may turn from darkness to light. It's, it's either darkness or light. You're either in darkness or light. And the only person that is the source of life is Jesus. And, then, and from his power, from the power of Satan to God. You're either under the power of Satan or you're under the power of God. There's no two ways about it. That's, I mean, he's very clear about that. There's no in-between, riding the line. And so, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and, and, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in, in me. How many would agree with me that the trajectory of our society today, boom, it's heading down fast. It, it has for some time, and it's not getting much better. Show of hands, show of hands. Yeah, and I'm telling you, the only hope that we have is not... Oh my goodness, not through the political parties that are out there. Oh my goodness, it's more frustrating the more I watch the, you know, what's going on out there through the whole political process. It's not going to happen through the courts or Congress or politicians. It's not going to happen through more education. I'm for politics and education. I think they have, there, there's some benefits to that. It's not going to happen through psychology and all the counseling. It's not going to happen through self-help. It's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only through him that people's lives are transformed from the inside out. All of those are still kind of dealing with the superficial, the, 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 you know, the shallow, the, the form rather than the substance. And, and, and you can educate people, but all you're doing is educating them to be more depraved. To be slicker in, in their deceiving, you know. I mean, so all of these things are all good in some regards. But unless our hearts are transformed, that's what he's talking about here. 
It's about having hearts that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talks about his heart here. He goes on in verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. In other words, this so ravished my heart, this so changed my life, that I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds, so he's saying, hey, this is the tangible difference. This, there, there are deeds that will come out of your life in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. I mean, he just goes through, this is how my life has been changed. And not only that, man, I've had all kinds of vicious attacks upon me, but by God's grace, God has given me the power to endure all this. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and, the Moses, and, and Moses said would come to pass. Let me just stop there just for a minute. We'll get to it, okay. We'll get through the text, okay. It's gonna be the whole chapter. But check this out. Nancy and I went with a couple last night for, uh, for dinner, a, a new family in our church, new couple. Not really a new family. Their family members have been attending for a while. But this couple... Uh, I can tell you their name because I told their name in the first service. Nice couple, uh, if I can remember their name. But uh, it was Nancy and Russ Smith. And uh, she comes from a Jewish background. She was a Jew. And she went to, it was kind of like a conference. And so this guy began to present to her the Jesus of the Old Testament to point out and say, hey, see all these prophecies? They point to Jesus. She was stunned by that, converted, became a Christian as a result of that. That's what he's saying right here. This is what's happening. He's saying, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Do you understand the significance of this book that we're reading here? It's prophetically powerful. It's based on predictions that have come true. Jesus fulfilled 300 biblical prophecies. Do you have any idea you know, how many that is and the probability of that, compound probability is kind of the, dis, de, determining the chance factor of, of someone accidentally, you know, doing that. Just, just maybe a two or three. He did 300. He fulfilled 300 Old Testament prophecies. I mean, he's saying, that's what Paul is saying here. He, he's a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament Do you get that? That's what he's saying. Do you get that? She got it. Nancy got it. It it changed her life. She committed her life to the Messiah, to Jesus as the Messiah, understanding that the whole Old Testament was talking about it. So this book is prophetically powerful. It's remarkably reliable with manuscript evidence. It's established by eyewitness accounts. So we're reading this eyewitness account of Luke, writing this down about Paul, who encountered this Jesus, went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, Pretty significant. It's archaeologically accurate. It's credited by millions of changed lives. It's honored by outside historians. So this is for real. This is for real. Jesus is for real. This book is God's word. And then he goes on that the Christ must suffer, that by being the first to rise from the dead, so there's that hope, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So what he's saying is that we're all sinners saved by Christ's works and not our own works. It's through Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross and the resurrection. And as he was saying these things in defense, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. You're Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true in rational words. What is he saying? I have never been more in touch with reality than when I committed my life to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Jesus is my most satisfying reality. That's what the apostle, that's what, Paul is saying, I keep on calling him the Apostle Paul. Well, he's kind of working in that direction, certainly. And notice this. He says, for the king knows about these things. This is Paul speaking. He says, hey, listen, you know about these things. This is, this is big. So you've got to pay attention to this. 
For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Stop there just for a minute. Take a look up here. You've got to get this. Christianity was not done in a corner somewhere. Like Mormonism. It was done in a corner. Joseph Smith. Angel Moroni. Oh, look at this. Glasses. I can read this. Book of Mormon. Pearl of Great Price. Doctrine of Covenants. He was in the corner. He was in the corner. He was the only one that knew about this. Um, Islam, in the corner. Muhammad had an encounter with Gabriel. That's where we get the Quran. He was in the corner. Uh, Scientology. Spaceships, something like that. That was in the corner, man. That's pretty scary. Jehovah Witness, Jehovah Witnesses, this Charles Taz Russell. Hey, I know, I don't like the way this reads. Let's write our own Bible. It's called the New World Translation. In fact, if you want to interpret it, everybody has to go through the Kingdom Hall, through the, uh, what is it called, the Track Society? What is it called? Watchtower, yeah. Everybody has to go through the Watchtower. We're the ones that will interpret this for you. Listen. Jesus Christ was not, this is not some kind of thing that was done in a corner. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who writes 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, says, look around you. There's some 500 people that saw the resurrected Lord. You can go to them to this day and interview them. They saw him. He walked among us. He was here. It wasn't in a corner. It's historical. It's evidential. It's factual. When you look at all the major cults and religions of our world today, for the most part, they're all in the corner here. Some one guy or primarily one guy that had some sort of an encounter. This was a group of people that all encountered the risen Christ and then wrote about it. We have the writings right here. So that's pretty significant. I mean, that's what's what, one of the reasons why I'm a Christian today. Not only just because of the message of the gospel, because it's so irresistible. But man, when you begin to see the evidence, you begin to study the book, you begin to look into the life of who Christ is and what he did for us. Ah, unbelievably, stunningly beautiful. Unbelievable. He continues on. And he says here, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I mean, look at the evidence. I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I accept for these chains. And then you got the rest of the story and they're going to ship him off to Rome here. And, the next, and we're going to talk about the storms next week about this big storm that he goes through and how to endure the storms of life. So this is God's word to us this morning. Woo! I mean, I woke up this morning and I just, I, that was kind of the stuff that was going through my mind as I kind of read through the text. This is the stuff that popped out to me, needed to share it. I know it's for somebody here. There's probably a number of us that needed to hear that this morning. Let's knock this out. Let me give you the fill in the blanks. So what's true about personal stories or testimonies? Number one, the Bible is full of personal stories, personal testimonies. The Bible is packed full. I gave you a number of them there that you can read on your own. You can study. You got David. He says in Psalm 66, 16, come and listen and I will tell you what God has done for me. The woman at the well is a great one. John four thirty nine. It talks about how many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The, the man born blind was here. I'm going through them for you anyway, okay? Here I'm going. I'm just walking through them. But the man born blind is a fun one. John 9, 25, he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. That's an easy testimony. Peter and John in Acts 4, 20, they say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then you got Paul, six different occasions as we're reading here is one of those occasions. Here's the next one. We are commanded to share our personal testimony. The Bible tells us, and commands us to share our personal testimony. Uh, case in point, Psalm 96, 2 through 3. It says, every day tell how he saves us. Tell the nations of his glory. Tell all peoples the miracles he does. So it says that we are to do that every day. Now, why would God command us? Why does God command us to do anything? What do you think? Why does God command us to do anything? Here's why. Because he wants to increase your joy in him. <laughs> 
I thought he was just trying to be a hard guy and trying to make life miserable for me. What? Well, wrong. That's a lie. No, he loves you. He knows how he's, he's created you. He knows what's best for you. So with his commandments come his enablements, and, and that's in the context of his, uh, his love and his wisdom for you. And so he's wanting to increase your joy in him. That's why I like what C.S. Lewis said, God's commandment to worship him is an invitation to enjoy him. So anytime God commands us, he's saying, hey, this is an invitation for you to have more interaction with me and for you to put me on display, especially when you're sharing your story with others. I mean, supernaturally, there's some phenomenal things that begin to take place in that context. So then you've got the five commissions there. I put those down. Number three, the most important part of your life mission is your life message. The most important part of your life mission is your life message. First Peter 3.15, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Notice that. The hope that you have. When people see the hope that you have, this confident, joyful expectation, regardless of what's going on in your life, they're going to go, wow, what is going on there? And you're going to give it, have an opportunity to share with them about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, uh, Keller says, the lack of joy in your life is due to your lack of mission. I happen to believe this is where the action is. Apart from knowing God, I think it's out of that knowing God is making him known to others. That's where the action is. In fact, there is not a more exciting spiritual adventure in life than helping another person find God. I'm convinced of that. And uh, as, as a guy that was on the fire department for a number of years, 12 years, 10 of those as a medic, and went on some pretty significant calls, loved fighting fire, just loved fighting fire. Kick down the door, bring the hose line in, you know, we don't kick down the doors, but uh, we, you know, we, we do other things to get into there, and maybe have to if we need to. But, but I also loved going on a lot of the EMS calls, being a medic. So one of my tools was being a paramedic. And the different calls, knowing, knowing that people's lives were hanging in the balance and what we did could make a difference. Never forget the call where a guy had kind of blew his cork, you know, he got mad and shoved his fist. Him and his wife got in a fight and he shoved his fist through the kind of a window in the doorway and he cut his main artery right here in his arm. We got there and he was hypovolemic shock, ashen color. And in fact, initially your heart rate will go fast and then when it doesn't have much to pump anymore, it actually starts going slow into more of a bradycardic rhythm, and that's where he was. He was semi-conscious, in and out. This guy was going to die. How critical do you think it was for us to not only stop the bleeding, but to start IVs so that we could begin to give him the fluids that he needed, the lactated ringers that we would supply him with? Pretty critical. So if you're not good at starting IVs, this guy could die. And fortunately, my partner and I, we've been on the job long enough. We could start the IVs. I could start an IV blindfolded almost in the back of a rescue while we're rocking back and forth. Yeah! Got it! Looks like this guy's going to live. You know, so it was kind of one of those things that was just like, wow. I mean, it was just like, and so we were able to start the lines, get the fluids. Guy started coming back around, saved his life. Saved his life. Saw that on numerous occasions, different things, heart attacks, stuff like that, where you actually shock someone and they come back. and Stuff like that it was pretty, pretty significant. Pretty significant stuff. I loved it. But not near as much as I love what we do right here. Because see, that was, that was temporal. Yeah, people, life and death, but this is eternal. When I saw the video last week, when all the people that got baptized here recently and, and the people that we've baptized and the people, lives that have changed as a result of what goes on here at Desert Breeze, I am so stoked. That's fire. That's coals to the fire of my heart. I mean, I used to get pretty stoked going on a fire or uh, helping, you know, to assist in a resuscitation or something like that. That is nothing compared to what we do here. And I'm not minimizing that. It's important stuff. That's important stuff. But I've never had a higher high than, than helping someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more satisfying than to be able to share your story with someone who's lost and headed to hell. And there's a convergence of heaven and hell and light and darkness and sin and grace that are coming together as you're sharing your story and you're planting seeds and you're watering those seeds to actually see someone at some point begin to say, hey, uh, I think I need to give my life to Jesus. And you're like, oh, yes 
Yes, you do. I've been praying for you for a long time. That's awesome. I mean, there's, there's nothing quite like that. To have that feeling. And that's what I've always loved about Desert Breeze. We just see a lot of folks come to faith in Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And that's not it. It's more than that. We help them to become disciples. That's what Desert Breeze is about. It's amazing. And I, get a, I have a front row seat. I can't believe it. And so, okay, where was I? Oh, just getting all excited. That's where I was. So the most important part of our life mission is our life message. You know, in uh, personal testimony is the most effective form of communication. People are not argued but attracted into Christianity. It's your personal testimony is an irrefutable argument and amazingly attractive. One of the things that you've heard me share this before, I'm just going to keep sharing it. My son Ryan, uh, you know, the Cheerios. How many remember the Cheerios story? Cheerios story. When he was a little boy sitting in his high chair, we fed him the Cheerios. I was the one that poured him the Cheerios, and he's eating the Cheerios with everybody. He's going, mmm, 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 all the way to the bottom of the bowl. He tips the bowl up. Mmm. I'm going, what in the world's in the Cheerios? I want some of those Cheerios. I want some of those Cheerios. I'm the one to put the Cheerios together. So here's the deal. As you're living your life and you're going, mmm, God, you are so good. Mmm. I find such unbelievable satisfaction in you, God. Even when you're going through difficulties, especially when you're going through difficulties, that is appealing to people. Now, don't fake it, you know, because sometimes we try to fake it. Don't try to fake that, but really, truly find your deepest satisfaction in him. And you can. He will become more real to you while you're going through difficult times. We're going to talk about it next week through storms. Unlike any other time in your life. And yes, you can find amazing satisfaction in him. No matter what's going on. So when you're going like this, mmm, mmm, everybody's like, what? What do you got there? <laughs> Can I have some of that? Yeah, I'd love to share with, this, share with you some of that. And so that's the idea. Here's the next one. Once you've tasted life-transforming fellowship with God, you will want everyone you care about to know it too. There's a video I'm going to share with you. It's from Eric Larson. He's sitting right out there, and it's a, it's a phenomenal testimony. The first time I saw it, I'd already heard his story, but I, heard, I listened to the testimony this last week. It brought tears to my eyes. And then I saw it in the first verse, it brought tears to my eyes. Whew, so I'm ready for some more tears. Check this out. Um, I grew up in, a, um, in a, a split home. From an early age, I wanted to go into the Marine Corps. I always wanted to be a Marine. It started for the movie Aliens, the second Aliens movie, the Space Marines. I thought they were so cool. By the time I got to about 14 years old, I was excelling academically. I got into the honors program right away Then, as I, when I got into high school. Then I realized that leaving high school and going and smoking weed and hanging out at the pool hall was more fun than sitting in class. And I decided to go into the Marine Corps at... Uh, I was 16 or 17 years old. Went in the Marine Corps, um, excelled quickly. I was uh, doing really well. I had a promising military career. I wound up meeting a girl, doing ecstasy, and random drug test, got kicked out. I went through, I don't know, six or seven month period of pretty heavy depression because I was, I was in barracks restriction, which is basically like the Marine Corps' cheap version of not having to pay for you to be in jail. So they just keep you in your barracks room in a special little room basically battled on and off with drugs for the next, I don't even know how many years. I'd never actually been a Christian. Um, I always thought it was kind of hokey. Um, my dad attended a Lutheran church, started attending a Lutheran church when I was about 12, and started trying to force me into going, force me to be baptized. I didn't believe any of it. Um, and as I got older and I started to learn more, I started to think of it as kind of sport to make Christians doubt their faith. When I was about 21 years old, I met this girl named Juanita at work. One night we were talking, and the subject of being a Christian came up. And I said, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in any of that and this and that. And she got pretty upset at me. We got kind of into an argument about it. And the next day, her mom gave me a book called Case for Christ, Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. And she said, Eric, I know you don't believe in any of this. Just read it. And the first time I went to church, actually on my own, not being forced by my dad or for a funeral or for a wedding, um, Juanita said she wanted to go back to this place called Desert Breeze. And she said, you got to hear this guy, Pastor Ray. He's awesome. He's, you know, he just, he captivates you when he speaks. And, 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 and you just, you, you just, you, you have to see him. And I didn't, ha I never dawned on me how old Pastor Ray was. It never dawned on me that he's a Christian man that's married with a family and, and that. I came to church the first time because I was jealous. 
um, I, I thought she was going to meet this Pastor A guy, then who she was going to fall in love with, or she was going to meet some church guy that met all of her expectations, and he was a Christian, and you know, I was going to be out the door, and, and so I came to church my first time. I was blown away. It hit me, and I was like, okay, I, I can come back here. And, and I came back the next Sunday, and I came back the next Sunday, and I came back the next Sunday, and I was starting to have these encounters. I was driving out down, down, the, down the, the 202, and I don't know if you've ever seen it at night, but that area, the river walk there, and stuff, if you've ever seen it at night when there's nobody out there, it's gorgeous. I mean, the way the lights reflect off, and I was looking at it, and I, uh, I just said, okay, God. I, I pulled off the side of the freeway, and I started crying heavily. And I felt emotion like I'd never felt it before. I gave my life to Christ on the side of the 202. I don't know how long I was there. It felt like three hours. It could have been two seconds or 20 minutes. I have no idea how long I sat there. I wasn't looking at the clock. And I repented, and I just asked Christ to... Uh, my first prayer ever as a Christian, and I realize it's the most difficult prayer you can actually wholeheartedly pray, is for God to strip you of all your idols and to just make Him your idol, to, to strip you whatever that means, because none of us know the depth of our own depravity. And since then, I've been... Um, on a collision course with God, and I just pray that the, it never ends. I realize that I, I want to be in ministry. Um, that's what I want to devote my life to. I'm, I'm satisfied in my wife. I love my wife. Knowing when God's given you something, that's an incredible feeling. Marriage really is a reflection of God. It's a reflection of Christ's relationship with His church. I thank you to Desert Breeze for being a church full of real people. To all the people that I've met, uh, Tom and Jordan, Epic for instantly pulling me in and for building me up and for, for being patient with me and to the pastors that have sat and listened to annoying question after annoying question for me. My second or third week going to Desert Breeze, I, I felt welcomed here and um, I, I felt like I didn't feel like everybody else here was better than me. I felt like everybody else here was as screwed up as me and I was going to find somebody else, or at least close to it that I could find somebody else I could relate to and it didn't take me long. So I, I guess it's people seeing the light of Christ in me. They. Uh, they trust me, and I have employees tell me things that I couldn't imagine they would ever tell me. I have family members, friends, uh, people in the church that I've befriended that I have. There's some confidential, confidential stuff they've told me that I never would have been able to be trusted with before. And these people just trust me with deep issues of the heart, and that's um, an incredible work of God. Let's give him a hand. That's great. That's awesome. It's a great story. Pretty amazing. By the way, he did marry Juanita. She's sitting right back there. Yeah, that was, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, uh, great story. Uh, Eric uh, represents many, many people here at Desert Breeze. And so, here's what I want to remind you, that what we do here matters. What we do here matters for all eternity, people's lives. When you give regularly, consistently, when you get involved with, in small groups, when you participate in ministry, it's about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and then making, making disciples. Let's finish this up. Five ingredients of a powerful personal story. We'll knock this out quick, and then we're going to end with a song, and I'll give you a challenge here at the end. So five ingredients of a personal, powerful, or powerful personal story. Keep it simple. That's the first thing. We see this with the uh, Apostle Paul. I mean, we see it with Saul, who became Paul. And uh, before Christ, he persecuted Christians. And then this conversion on the road to, uh, to Damascus. And you can read more about his conversion experience in Acts 9. And then he went from there to proclaiming Christ. Uh, Eric did a good job with his. He kept it simple. It's, it's as easy as that. By the way, let me just, let's, let me just show you how, much, uh, how many of us all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, indeed, you have a lot of different stories it's all part of your story. How many have ever had a lot of stress in your life and that there were these times in your life when you encountered Christ and he helped to re relieve the stress in your life and brought peace in the midst of storms and difficulties? Show of hands. That's part of your story. That's part of your story. You could share that with others that are going through stressful times. That's part of your story. How many have ever uh, struggled with financial problems only to have Christ provide for your needs? Show of hands. 
That's part of your story. When people are going through difficult times, you can use that as part of your story. How many have ever had marital problems like my wife and I? I mean, how many have ever had marital problems and Christ has helped you tremendously? That's part of your story. It's all part of your story and how God provides for you. Do you understand how many different aspects to your story that you have? You can keep it simple. This is what I experienced. This is where I was. And this is the difference that Christ has made in my life. Keep it simple. Here's the next one. Look for the best time. Look for the best time. Don't do it on valuable company time around the water cooler when you should be working. You should be the very best worker with the best attitude. But this is a very strategic opportunity for Paul. All the leaders are, are in the city are assembled. It's a very dramatic opportunity because you've got this whole King Agrippa there who's part of the powerful royal family. So there's quite a bit. So here's, here's some things that you can begin to look for in sharing your story, how to lead in your testimony. Listen for problems or needs that, that Jesus has helped you with, that people are experiencing, how you can begin to bridge the gap and show them how Christ has helped you in that. Refer to something in the news or on television that deals with a common need or problem. Apologize to people you're, you've known for a long time but haven't witnessed to. But, but you've got to know this. You've got to be proactive in this. You need to be proactive. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 14, 4, 19, Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you, anybody know? Fishers of men. Following and fishing go together. If you're not fishing, you're not following, Okay? So just do some course corrections. Say, Jesus, obviously I need to start following you more because I'm not really too conscientious of the, of the unbelievers that you've placed around me. So show me, help me, open up doors for me so that I can speak truth to them. Um, next point on your notes, be objective. Don't be vague and mystical. An encounter with Jesus Christ makes a tangible difference in our lives. And so Paul goes through the whole list. He talks about his verse 19, obedience. Verse 20, deeds in keeping with repentance. Verse 22, God's help. Verses 22 through 23, prophets. Number four, be real. Was Eric pretty real? Do you agree with that? With with how he shared his life and how vulnerable he was, you think he could probably get close to him and maybe understand where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. He was very real, very open. Paul is very real and very open. We see this in Paul's testimony. What does that mean? Be yourself, be vulnerable, be clear, and don't go overboard with Christian lingo. Be careful with that. When I realized that the Lamb of God was sacrificed and His blood became the propitiation of my sins, I was convicted by the Holy Ghost and became born again. It's like, what did you just say? And especially that, and I understand, if you're coming from more of a King James uh, persuasion, you're going to use the Holy Ghost. But when you say Holy Ghost, I think of Casper the Friendly Ghost, okay? <laughs> Just seems a little weird to me, but okay, I understand if you want to use that language. And so there's different, you know, different things. You have to explain the terms that you're using. But here's the most important thing. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Bill Bright President of Campus Crusade for Christ said, uh, success in witnessing is merely sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to the Holy Spirit. And don't ever underestimate, you might not have a chance to bring the harvest, but you can certainly plant seeds and water those seeds. Don't give up on planting and watering those seeds. Don't stop planting and watering just because you haven't seen, seen the harvest. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment and pray. Band's coming up. We're going to end with the song, but let me give you a challenge as you bow your heads and you close your eyes. There isn't a more exciting spiritual adventure in life than helping a person find God. That's what God has called us to do. Here's another thought. You've probably heard this before, but it's so true. If you had the cure for cancer, now think about this. If you had the cure for cancer, and you could could cure all the cancer on this planet Earth, it would be criminal if you kept it to yourself Christian, you have something infinitely and eternally better in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 24, 11, it says this, Rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. People who do not know Jesus, this is true about them. And God has called us to make a difference in their life. So with your heads bowed, eyes closed, Here's your challenge. With the unbelievers God has strategically placed in your life, you are there by divine design. Become aware, first of all. Just become aware of the unbelievers in your neighborhood, where you work, people you hang out with at the coffee shop. 
And then be, commit to prayer. Begin to pray for them. It's amazing. As you begin to pray for them, God will begin to do some phenomenal things there. And then show them that you care. Begin to look for opportunities to, to build a bridge of credibility and then be ready to share. And one of the reasons why we, at this time of the year particularly, we put those little flyers in the bulletin is for you to give out to your family and friends to invite them. And as we head into a new year, it's, it's usually when people are really thinking about church more than ever before. About 75, 80% of the people that were surveyed said that they would go to church if they were just asked. And some people just need to be asked. I would invite you to do that. God, so help us. Help us to be aware, commit to prayer, show we care, and be ready to share. Open up doors throughout this whole valley. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us? Sing this song. Sing it from your heart. God bless you.